one of the things that kind of came up in the conversation when we were talking about God's election, reprobation, and things like that, uh, uh, somebody just made a comment, you know, Jesus said, you know, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. So obviously Christ wants all people to be saved and that everybody is invited to come. And of course we hear, uh, even among uh, Reformed people, uh, Calvinists and things like that, we hear people say that uh, Christ's salvation is a uh, free offer. That it is a, uh, a legitimate offer to every person and that He truly, sincerely is offering salvation to everyone. Now, brethren, I can't find that in the Scriptures. I hear that spoken a lot, even among sovereign grace people, that, uh, that Christ is sincerely offering salvation. But salvation is not an offer. Um, salvation is a gift of God. It's something that is an objective thing. It's not a subjective thing. See, if it's, if it's an offer, then it's subject to you accepting the offer or meeting the demands of what is required to receive that. Okay? Therefore, it would become a work. Whatever you have to do to get salvation, therefore, is done in exchange for that already uh, potential salvation that's out there. However, we learn throughout Scripture that salvation is a gift of God. That salvation is something that was secured and completed by our Lord Jesus Christ. It's something that He came to do. The Bible says that He came into this world to save sinners. He said He came into this world to save His people from their sin. Therefore, that accomplishment of that very thing either was done or was not done. He either saved His people from their sin, his, their sin or He didn't and just made it potentially possible. But yet on the cross, he cried out very loudly, it is finished. There was nothing left to do. Matter of fact, before his death, he prayed, you know, all that you've given me to do, I've come and I've done. Everyone that you've given me, I've lost none of them. Right? So, whenever we hear these phrases, and especially as we begin to be shamed a little by family members and friends and people like that, who want to tug at heartstrings and stuff like that, by saying, you know, well, you know, what kind of God is that that would do that? And what kind of uh, uh, gospel is that? And why even preach the gospel if that's the case? If, if Jesus has already saved everybody, and you know, then what's the purpose of the gospel? Well, brethren, the purpose of the gospel, and the reason we preach the gospel even as of today, is number one, the gospel is for the people of God. The gospel is the message of good news to those whom the Lord has saved. It is the heralding, it is the proclaiming, it is the proclamation of salvation to those whom the Lord has died for. It is the proclamation to those whom the Lord has given eyes to see and ears to hear. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. So until one has been born from above, till one has been granted faith by Christ Jesus... They cannot see, they cannot understand, they cannot hear. They may read the words, they may, they may be able to memorize these things, they may even be able to give some sort of a two-hour discourse on some of these things, but yet the spiritual understanding and the, the faith 
that it takes to actually rest in and receive the message of the gospel cannot be done by the natural man. It can only be done by those who are born from above. And so all these passages of scriptures, and getting back to that particular phrase, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me, that has to be taken in context with the rest of scripture. If Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men to me, if that all means everyone head for head, then Jesus accomplished that. Because Jesus said, I came to do the will of my Father. Everything that He has told me to do, I have told me to say, I have said. Everything He has told me to do, I have done. And therefore, I have lost none that you have given me to save, to die for. Everyone you give for me to die for shall come to me. And therefore, if the all that he was lifted up to draw, if the all means everyone head for head, then everyone head for head will come to him. But see, we got to keep the Bible in its context, right? Turn with me to John chapter 12 and verse 31. That's where this verse is found. And I, as I was looking at this this morning and, and a little bit yesterday, even it was on my mind, this there's two main things that I that I see in this that I, I would hope that the Lord would give me to, to to draw out here, and I pray that it is of the truth. John twelve, uh, and I'm going to start reading verse thirty. Jesus answered and said, "This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes." God had spoke out of heaven, saying that He would glorify His Son, uh, and that He had glorified His Son, that He would glorify Him again. He said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And if I be lifted up, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now that right there is one of those sayings that is a definite saying of Christ that he said, and I, now the if I be lifted up from the earth, you see that's kind of like a parenthetical verse right there, right? It's a parenthetical uh, uh, phrase in the middle of what he was about to say. He says, and I will draw all unto me. How is he going to do that if I be lifted up? He is going to draw all to him if he be lifted up. Now, that is not Jesus saying, I'm going to try to draw all to me because I'm being lifted up. He's saying the very fact that I am being lifted up is going to have an effect. It's going to draw all to me. Now again, I ask the question, if Jesus says, my lifting up is going to draw all to me, and yet some do not come, is God sovereign? Did Christ accomplish what he was sent to do? Was it actually finished? I mean, those are, I believe, legitimate questions. I don't know about y'all, but seems to me legitimate questions to ask of Christ. You said if you were lifted up, you're going to draw all to yourself, but yet we see some going to hell. 
We see some rejecting you. We see some who do not believe on you. Why are they not drawn to you? You said you would if you were lifted up. You were lifted up. Why are all men not coming? You said it. You promised that you would draw all men to yourself. So therefore, either Jesus lied, Jesus didn't accomplish it, and salvation wasn't finished, as Jesus also promised, or there's something else here, brethren. There is more context to what we need to draw out to understand this and not stop and cherry-pick verses out of the Bible to support our theological presuppositions. See, we need to quit looking at Calvinist and Arminian. We need to quit looking at Reformed and non-Reformed, Protestants and this and that. We need to quit looking at all that and look and see what does the Bible say. It doesn't matter what Dr. So-and-so says or theologian Yahoo says. It doesn't matter what I say. What matters is what does God's Word say. And we get our faith and I use that in the, in the aspects of a body of belief, we get our faith that we hold from the Word of God. He has given to the saints once that body of faith, His doctrine. And that doctrine has been perpetuated from year to year to year throughout every generation by His church. And that doctrine hasn't changed. Now, it's surely been obscured, it's surely been lied about. It's surely been falsified by some. It has been uh, hated by others. It has tried to be squelched by every generation. But brethren, it has never changed. The gospel remains the same. If I be lifted up, I will draw all unto me. So we need to figure out a couple of things. Number one, who is the all? And number two, what does draw mean? Right? Well, turn back with me, if you would, to John chapter 3, because Jesus made the same comment to Nicodemus. If you remember, when Nicodemus came to him by, by night, he came on behalf of all the other uh, uh, religious leaders. <coughs> and Jesus had mentioned to him, you know, Nicodemus said, you know, I know that, that all the stuff that you've been doing can't be done unless one's from God, you know. One, God's with them. And Jesus cut right to the chase. He said, you're not ever going to understand this unless you've been born again. You're never going to understand these things unless you've been born again. So immediately that tells us that people are not going to understand the Scriptures unless they're born again. We talk about this Bible being given to everybody. This Bible was written to those who are born again. This gospel message is to those who have been born again. It's to all of God's elect. It's to the sheep. It's to the people of God, the child of grace. Whatever label you want to put on them, this Bible and the message that's found in there is only to and only understood by those who have been made spiritual by God alone. And so Jesus said, you can't, you can't understand this because it's spiritually discerned. You have to be born again. And Jesus said, of course, Nicodemus tried to come back with some natural logic, right? Well, how can a man be born again? Is he going to crawl back up in his mom's womb? Jesus said, Art thou master of Israel, verse 10, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto you, unto thee, 
We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and you receive not our witness. The message has been sent to you in its purest form, in its most clear, uh, clarified way. It, 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 I mean, you can't get any clearer than Jesus Himself preaching the gospel. Brethren, there is no man on earth can do what Jesus did, and He preached the gospel. He was the one who had all authority. He is the Word of God. You can't get a better preacher with a better setting, with a better understanding and context of Scripture than Jesus. He knew, he knew exactly every context because He's the one who put it in context. He's the one who knows the background of every verse because He's the one who put it there. And He knew the intent of it whenever He had it written down. You can't get a better preacher than Jesus, but yet there was those who did not believe. You mean to tell me that Jesus couldn't convince somebody? Well, see, that wasn't the way that it worked. Jesus wasn't there to convince anybody. Jesus wasn't there to convince the ones who were not meant to hear the message. Jesus made that very clear as well. We'll see that here in just a minute, Lord willing. Um, but he says this, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. I'm just going to say a side note there. I'm going to go back and study a little bit about that. Here the Son of Man was on earth, speaking to Nicodemus at the time, but yet he says the Son of Man was also in heaven at the same time. Now we're talking about the flesh, the, the, the manhood of Christ. We're not talking about the Spirit God, we're not talking about the fullness of the Godhead that's Spirit, Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. We're not talking about we're not talking about that Spirit that's omnipresent. We're talking about Christ in the flesh being omnipresent. Now that boggles my mind, but yet it's plain as day. Jesus said the Son of Man is in heaven at the time that he's talking to Nicodemus. Anyway, just something some fodder for you to go look at. Verse 14, here it is. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So again, my question was, is, is who is the all? And who is the... Uh, well, what does the drawing mean? The draw mean? <clears throat> if we understand who the all is, then we can understand, I think, if the Lord give it to us, understand who the all, understand the drawing. And if we understand the all and we understand the drawing, we might also understand the work of the lifting up. Uh, look with me in John chapter 6, and, and hopefully the Lord will make this as clear as mud as it is in my head. Sometimes these things are, are, are vaguely there. And uh, so anyway, we pray the Lord will bring it to, to understanding. In John chapter 6, Jesus says in uh, verse 37, matter of fact, I'm going to start in verse 35. It says that Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me, there's the word cometh, 
shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So here we see that Jesus makes the distinction <laughs> that the word cometh is equal to believeth. He that cometh to me means the same thing as believeth. And you'll see this in the whole entire context of John chapter 6. Matter of fact, Jesus used those words interchangeably. He that cometh to me and he that believeth on me means the same thing. To come to Jesus means to believe on Jesus. Not believe in Jesus, believe on Jesus. Believe that Jesus is your righteousness. Believe that Jesus was your sin bearer. Believe that Jesus took the full wrath of God and substituted and everything that He did, He did on your behalf. And your slate is perfectly clean in God's eyes. Your righteousness is completely and totally perfect that all of the law of God has been and is being kept because Jesus did it all for you. There is nothing for you to do. There is no conditions for you to meet. There is nothing that is required of you for salvation. Jesus accomplished salvation in and of Himself, and that in its fullness, and everything in that fullness, the Bible now says, ye are complete in Him. That means there's nothing left for us to do. We don't have to worry about keeping up religiosity. We don't have to worry about keeping up the law in a certain amount of way to keep Him uh, satisfied with us. He was satisfied in His Son. He was satisfied in the work of Christ. <clears throat> All of our righteousnesses are filthy rags, so everything that we even tried to put up to please God and to stay in right standing with God is all filthy rags. That's why we needed to substitute. That's why Jesus needed to be lifted up. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. See, there is no drawing of men to himself without the lifting up. The lifting up has to be done, and then the drawing can be done. But let's, let's look here. He says, I'm the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believed not. So there were some there that didn't believe. Now he's going to say the reason why. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's a quantifier. We've talked about this before. It's a quantifier. Who are the ones that come to Jesus? All that the Father giveth me. And them only. So here again we have this word all. If, if I be lifted up, I will draw all to me. Well, who's the all? Well, here we have the all defined. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men. What is that implying? We've heard it for years and years and years. What is God drawing you to Himself? He is, oh, He's wooing you. He is begging you. He is pleading for you. He is trying to get you to come to Him and everything. That's what this drawing is. If you actually look, you've probably heard this before, but the word behind draw means to drag. Actually, the root word of that word actually means to take one for Himself. Now, is that not what election is? God took for Himself a people before the foundation of the world? That is the drawing. 
the drawing, I will draw all men to myself. I will drag, I will bring, I will take for myself all that the Father has given to me. The Bible says that whenever Jesus died, that He led captivity captive. He took them all, right? Everyone that was captive to sin, He took. And He became the victor. And they overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And therefore, everyone for whom God has chosen, everyone for whom Christ died, everyone for whom Christ shed His blood, every one of them shall receive the inheritance, shall receive the blessing, shall receive the, the, the uh, uh, effect of that, that salvation, of that death. See, that's what I mean. It's objective. It's, it doesn't change. It, it cannot change. The recipient isn't added or taken away. It's all there. All that the Father giveth me shall. Now, you guys have heard the term hard shell. Oh, they're just hard shell Baptists. That may be new to some people. Have you ever heard that term? Yes, I have. Okay, a lot of people that believe in predestination election, and especially whenever it says that everyone will come, they're called hard shell Baptists. That's a derogatory term that was actually given to, to, to us. But hard shell Baptist, and it actually came from hard shell, and it just eventually morphed into hard shell. But uh, because we believe these hard shells, Jesus said, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Therefore, we believe that they shall come. It's in distinction, brother, just so you'll know. It's in distinction because there are some among the Baptists that believe in predestination and election and absolute predestination. There's some that believe in, they say they believe in absolute predestination, but yet they they say that God didn't uh, predestinate sin or evil or anything like that. And then they also believe that the absolute predestination of God only talks about eternal salvation, but not about temporal or uh, time salvation, that all of the stuff in time actually is conditional that we have to believe or we don't get saved or we have to do this. So they believe that, he, that we'll be in heaven with Christ because of eternal salvation, but we may never come to know the gospel or believe on Jesus down here. That's conditional salvation. And so we were termed, people like us are termed hard shell or hard shall Baptist because we believe this verse and others like it that they shall come to me. All that the Father giveth me shall come. That's why we believe that everyone that has that eternal salvation will also have a time salvation, meaning that they will come to know Christ. Uh, they will come to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ sometime in this lifetime. It may be early on in their life. It may be towards the very end of their life. It may be right before they pass away like the thief on the cross. We don't know. But we know that they will be given faith. They will come to know Christ Jesus. They're not going to enter into heaven saying, wow, what's all this about? You know, They're going to already know. They're going to have that given to them. Because we believe the promise of God, all that the Father gives me, shall come to me. Now again, there's that word belief. All that the Father giveth me shall believe on me. We could say that. And not rest the Scriptures. Not twist the Scriptures. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. 
For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that, here it is again, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. So therefore, everyone that was given to the Father are going to be the ones that He's going to raise up at the last day. Not one will be lost. Therefore, again, the book of life doesn't have eraser in it. Okay, it doesn't have eraser mark or scratch out mark. Okay, God isn't writing in, you know, the, the old song, there's a new name written down in heaven. No, there's not a new name written down in heaven. They were all written down before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> he said that he shall lose none, but raise it up at the last day. If I be lifted up, I shall draw all men to myself. The word draw here, and we're going to see this in just a second, the word draw here means he's going to cause them to believe on him, to come. To draw means to come to him. If I draw you or drag you, you are coming to me. Now some say, well, are you doing it kicking and screaming? No. Nobody comes kicking and screaming. Did you come kicking and screaming to the Lord? I was thirsty. Huh? I was hungry. I was thirsty. There was something there. I need to know. I need to find out. What is this? Especially whenever the sin and the weight of sin is shown to you. See, that's whenever we actually become sinners. See, until the Lord opens our eyes, we don't see ourselves as sinners. We see ourselves guilty of doing bad things, but we don't see ourselves as sinners, meaning that we absolutely miss the mark. That's what the word sin means, is to miss the mark. To fall short of the glory of God. Everything that we do is sin in the natural man because the flesh is flesh and it cannot please God. Everything done in the flesh is sin. Therefore, everything done in the flesh misses the mark, is not going to reach the glory of God. That's why we don't live for the flesh. That's why we don't live in the things that we do for the flesh. That's why we don't exalt the things that we do in the flesh. That the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom and it has spiritual servants and they serve in a spiritual way, not in a fleshly way. See, the world can mimic. The wicked can mimic religious activity. I did for years. I came to church all the time. I prayed all the time. Matter of fact, I probably prayed more then than I probably pray now. I probably read my Bible more then than I do now. I know that's to my shame probably. I'm just being truthful with you. Back then, I thought everything was sin and I better stop doing it or God's going to leave me behind or God's going to, you know, He's going to send a meteor to fall on my head and, you know, something. It wasn't until the Lord gave me spiritual understanding to see how justification works, how righteousness works. Righteousness is not something imparted in me. It's imputed to me. Amen. It's laid to my account, not demanded of me to keep. If righteousness is demanded of me to keep, then why did Jesus have to come and keep it for me? Just give me the power to do it, Lord, and I'll do it. See, that's what we hear all the time. It's Christ in you. He's going to give you the power to do it. Now he's going to give you the power to believe on him who did it. That's what he's going to do. 
He's going to give you the faith to believe that everything He did was enough. And therefore, you can rest in Him. That's what it means to come to Him. That's what it means to be drawn to Him. We use that term all the time. I'm drawn like a like a like a you know moth to a flame, right? What is it? What does it mean to be drawn to that? You know, I'm, I'm drawn to several different things. You know, I like to fish. I'm drawn to fishing. You know, I'm drawn to this or I'm drawn to that. What does that mean? That means that there's an attraction there. There's something there that has grabbed my attention and is bringing me. And it's almost like I can't even help it. Like I said, to moth to a flame. You know, I think about when our kids were young. What was that? movie that we want kids movie bugs where the bu- bugs lie you know they were going to the lie and they were telling them, don't go to the lie do it <laughs> they're just being drawn to the to the to the bug zapper you know they're telling them, don't go don't go being drawn to christ is something that whenever you're given spiritual life you get a spiritual hunger you get a spiritual thirst and those who have a spiritual hunger and a spiritual thirst god has provided something for their sustenance. And it's found right here in John chapter 6. Jesus said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. What are we drawn to? What are we hungering after? What are we thirsting after? We're hungering and thirsting after Him being lifted up. That's what I want to hear. What does it that helps me? I don't like to go, and I've mentioned this brother Larry, my family knows this. I've been to churches and Bible conferences and things like that where all they do is they preach church history at those things. Now, I like church history, and I think it's important, but that's not what feeds my soul. To hear what people did way back yonder and what they said way back yonder isn't something that feeds my soul. I go to Bible conferences, and I hear people talk about how we should do this, how we should do this, or how we ought to get up and do this, and, you know, how to build a, you know, such and such in ten days, or, you know, all these self-help life lessons, that doesn't feed my soul either. The reason that doesn't feed my soul is because whenever you tell me this is what you have to do, I wake up the next day, if not on my way home from the Bible conference, finding out, guess what? I can't do that. And even if I attempt to do that and in some way have a semblance of it, it wasn't good enough because of just filthy rags. No, what feeds my soul is to hear the gospel of Christ. What He did on our behalf. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That you can rest in Him just trusting that everything that He has done, He has done for you. That means the wrath of God was fully taken for you, brethren. We're not being punished in this lifetime because of our sins. We are being chastised for our sins. But God is not punishing us for our sins. We will not, in the day when Christ comes, we are not going to stand and have to give an account for all that we have done. That verse in the Bible is not for the child of grace. That verse in the Bible is for the reprobate. Every one of them who wanted to establish their own righteousness is going to stand and give an account for their works and every work that they put forth is going to be found wanting. But all the elect of God, when they stand before God and give an account, the account is going to be the old account was settled long ago. 
It was settled on the cross. It was settled in Christ Jesus. So all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and all that come to me I will in no wise cast out. Why? Because this is the will of the Father. This is the will of God. So you're telling me that God desires everybody to be saved, but some are not going to get saved, so therefore the will of God is not going to be accomplished. Especially whenever the Bible says that He is God and He will do all His will. I mean, it's plain as day, brother, isn't it? He will accomplish His will. He will do whatever He wants to do in the armies of the heaven and of the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay His hand. Except for our will. That's the only thing that can control God is our will, our choice. God controls everything, but He can't control that. Bless hogwash, brother. All that the Father gives me shall come to me. Now Jesus said this in verse 44. Uh, this is all going to tie together eventually, Lord willing. Verse 44. He says, No man can, that's a term of ability, right? No man can come to me, or no man can believe on me. That, remember, in the context here, Jesus is using the word come and believe. He's not talking about coming to church. He's not coming talking about coming to the preacher and shaking his hand, coming to the baptistry waters, okay? Coming to a membership. All those are important. I believe all those are scriptural. But that's not what he's talking about. The word come here is meaning believing. Coming to him for this righteousness. Believing on him for this righteousness. No man can come to me except there's only one way, only one instance. The only way that anybody can come and believe upon Christ Jesus is what? The Father which has sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. They have to be drawn. If they are not drawn. So, here again, let's ask these questions. Does God draw everybody? Because that's the other thing I used to preach and I heard in that debate is God will draw all to Himself. Therefore, He's drawing everyone. But you can reject that. If you reject that drawing, then God's not going to give, give it. No. He said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, but nobody can come to me except the Father draw him. Except the Father draw him. Matter of fact, Jesus said it even again in uh, verse 65, uh, starting reading in verse 60, uh, excuse me, uh, verse 60, he says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, listen, this whole, this whole passage, John chapter 6, is a sovereign grace message. Matter of fact, you can see all the doctrines of grace, if you want to call them the five points, two, look, whatever you want to call it. Jesus taught all that before he even got to chapter 6, up to verse chapter 3. But by the time he get to chapter 6, all of the five points, the tulip, the doctrines of grace, however you want to put it, all those Jesus had taught on, and specifically in chapter 6 where he said, the only ones who are going to come are the ones that the Father has given me. And the only ones that are going to be raised up at the end are the ones that the Father has given me. And nobody can come except that the Father draws them, gives them the ability to come. 
And he says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, and who can hear it? There may be some here today saying that same thing, some listening, saying the same thing. There have been people that have come and joined us before in times past. And whenever they have heard this, they have said, well, they weren't quite as nice as this and said, that's a hard saying. Who can say it? Never came and walked with us ever again. They, they said some choice things as they left, among which I'm a heretic, but uh, I'm not going to serve that God. That's the God of the Bible and I don't want to have anything to do with Him. You know, these are things that people say in their blindness, in their ignorance. Um, but here, even among those who were following Jesus, whenever he said this, he said, they, they, they said it was a hard saying. And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Dost this, doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. There it is again, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. Now let's stop here. It's another question. How, how did Jesus know who from the beginning were those who would believe not and who should betray him? Did Jesus look down the telescope of time from eternity and say, Oh, little Johnny is not going to believe that. Is that how Jesus knew that? No. As I've mentioned before, the only reason God knows anything by foreknowledge is because He had knowledge beforehand of what He had purposed. God had purposed all things from the foundation of the world. He decreed all things that would ever happen. Therefore, He knows all things because He declared all things. That's how God knows it all. God knew in the Old Testament when He made prophecies about Christ, He knew those things would happen. The gambling for His garments, the pulling out His beard, the spitting on Him, all those things. How did God know that in such detail? It wasn't because He looked into a future machine and saw it happen. He knew it would happen because He had predestinated that that be the thing. That happened. By the determinate counsel of God, you by wicked hands have taken and crucified Jesus. By how? The determinate counsel of God. <clears throat> so how did Jesus know these men would not believe on Him and that He was going to be betrayed by one of them? Because that was determined by God before the foundation of the world. Who would believe and who would not believe? Now, brethren, don't take my word for that. Is that not what we just read? All that the Father giveth me shall come to me or believe on me. You believe not. Why? Because you were not given to me by the Father. How did Jesus know these were not believed? Because He knows His sheep. He knows every one of us. He knows the ones who are going to believe and the ones who are not going to believe. Why did He not entrust Himself to certain men? Because He knew them. They were not His sheep. He didn't entrust Himself to certain men because He knew them. Verse 65, And He said, Therefore, Therefore, what does that tie back to? 
what he said in verse 64. But there are some of you that believe not. Therefore, or in light of what I said, tying back, remember, I just said it a few minutes ago, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And to be given. That's what drawing means. Drawing, if you notice, look with me again. If you're on opposite page, mine's on opposite page. Verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which sent me draw him. Verse 65. No man can come unto me except it were given to him. Therefore, drawing means to be given to him. Drawing, for God to draw all men, it means they have to all be given to him. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. How does God draw us? He gives us the ability. Whenever we're drawn, what do we do? We come. What does coming mean? It means to believe. Now, to wrap up my thought, go back again to John chapter 3. All my life, I've looked at this picture here that Jesus gives Nicodemus, that Jesus spoke of in John 12, that refers back to, I believe it's Numbers 21, where the actual event took place. But Jesus said, verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. How often have I preached, have I taught, have I thought, that means if I be lifted up and you believe on me, then you will be saved in the sense of eternal salvation. But brethren, let's think back to the story of Moses lifting up the serpent. If you remember, the Israelites had already come out of Egypt. They are already out of Egypt. He didn't lift up the serpent so that they would look upon it and then be delivered from Egypt. They were already out of Egypt. They had already believed He is talking and that serpent, whenever it was lifted up on the, on the rod, that uh, brass serpent was lifted up, it was lifted up to those who had already been saved to those who had already been called out, to those who had already been gathered, to those who already had been believing, but yet the fiery serpents had taken their eyes off, so to speak, the prize. What did they do? They wanted to go back to Egypt. Matter of fact, let's just go to Numbers uh, 21. I believe that's it. Starting verse 3, And the Lord hearkened the voice of Israel and delivered up the Canaanites, and they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Hormah. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. 
and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth for the slight bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee, praying to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon the pole. And it came to pass that if the serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Obah. Now brethren, I see this thing in a little different view than I used to. That brass serpent represents the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a type of Christ. I know it's funny to think Christ being depicted as a serpent. But if you remember, the Bible says that He became sin for us. He was imputed with our sin. He wasn't a sinner. He was made. See, that wasn't an actual serpent up there. It was one fashioned in the likeness of a serpent. Christ was fashioned in the likeness of man, but He was not a sinner. He was made like unto man, yet without sin. So He was formed in the fashion and He was imputed with that sin. That's what that, that's what that form on that pole represented. But the Bible also says that He made that serpent of brass. Throughout Scripture, if I'm not misunderstanding, if I've not gotten this wrong... Throughout Scripture, we see that brass is often used in connection with the teaching or the, or the coming or the execution of judgment. Jesus comes in and He's got feet like brass. He's coming in with judgment. Right? And it says here that He was to make this serpent of brass. So not only was it a figure, not only was it a representation of that which it was supposed to be, but it was also a bronze or a brass image which signified judgment. So what was being seen on that cross was the judgment, but it wasn't the judgment of that particular person, but for all for who it represented. It was the judgment that Christ took for us. See, Christ didn't do any wrong, but He was judging, being judged by God on behalf of all of us who did sin. And the Bible says that all those who looked to that lived. And to me this seems as though it's talking about for whenever we, those who have already been brought out of Egypt, those who have already been called of the Lord and gathered together, that whenever we come together, whenever we preach and whenever we speak of the gospel and we converse with each other what does the Bible say? Comfort ye, comfort ye my people. Speak unto the people and tell them what the Lord has done. Whenever we come together and preach the gospel, what are we doing? We're lifting up that fiery serpent and we're declaring to everyone there the judgment has already come on Him. And if you'll just look at that 
then you won't be so discouraged about the fiery serpents that's surrounding you. Paul said, I know that in me dwells no good thing in chapter 7 of Romans. And he said, there's a struggle that's within me. My flesh continually bombarded by the fle- uh, by sin. I can't keep from doing Every time I want to do good, sin is always there with me. I cannot do anything good. Nothing good resides in this flesh. Those fiery bites of sin, those fiery bites, matter of fact, we read it back in our passage that Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the seed of the serpent, which is sin. And whenever we look to that serpent, that bronze serpent, we see it's been judged. Sin has been judged on that cross. Our sins have been judged on that cross. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. If we keep looking to that, then we will live. If we not, and I don't mean live in as far as eternal life, that was given to us by God. We will live, meaning that we now are not bombarded and dying in ourselves because of the overwhelming nature that sin is to us, the overwhelming uh, bombardment that our flesh can do no good and how unrighteous we truly are, but yet we trust and rest in the serpent that was hung on that pole whose judgment was there in our face. We see Christ became the sinner for us. Christ became the the uh, uh, a sacrifice for us so that our sins would be forgiven. And so if all the judgment was upon Him, then none of that judgment is upon us. And if it has been removed from us, then God is not going to require it of us anymore. I will draw all men to Myself. What is the drawing nature of God? It's the Gospel. What is drawing me to Christ? Not get to work, brother. It's, it's already been done. It's accomplished for you. And guess what? All your failings, God's remembering them no more. They're not even going to come up. Whenever you stand before God, God is never going to look at them, never going to see them, never going to bring them up. They're not there. That's what the brazen serpent is. Us looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who has given us trust that He alone took all of our sin and He alone has given us His righteousness. Because if that brazen serpent is up there, then that means the righteousness is somewhere else. It's right here. There's been an exchange. Christ by imputation became sin and we by imputation became righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin and we who knew no righteousness became righteous. And brethren, whenever we live in the wilderness as the children of Israel did, whenever we are surrounded by the enemies of God as the children of Israel were, those fiery serpents are always going to be biting at us. But as long as we are looking unto Jesus and not looking at how am I going to shovel up these serpents? How am I going to fix myself? See, the people that look to that serpent Obviously, something in their mind had been given to them to know, listen, I can't fix this bite on my leg. I can't fix this bite on my arm. I'm going to die. There's nothing that I can do to remedy the poison that's been injected into me. 
the child of grace has been given to know our sin and that there's nothing that we can do about our sin. I can rein in my sin about as much as I can rein in the whole ocean. I can't do it. But praise God, my sin was taken care of by my substitute, by my proxy, by my Savior. Christ Jesus has done that for us. If I be lifted up, I have to be lifted up. Why? Because it is upon that cross, upon that pole, where the sinner has to die. The Bible says that the righteous requirement of the law was that sin must be condemned in the flesh. Somebody in flesh had to be lifted up and somebody in flesh had to incur the whole wrath of God upon them for sin. Because God is holy and righteousness uh, and He cannot acquit the wicked. He cannot look on sin and say, it's okay, I'm just going to let it go. Listen, even though every one of us that are under God's uh, grace and in uh, under Christ's blood, we're going to stand justified before God and He's never going to see our sins. But it is not at the cost of nothing. It was at the cost of Christ. Somebody had to pay the debt. God isn't winking at sin. He's not turning away from it and turning a blind eye to it. Somebody had to pay. And Christ did that. Christ was the one who was put on the cross for us. Therefore, God is not unjust in forgiving sinners. God is not unjust in justifying His people. God is not unjust in bringing us into His presence because Christ paid everything that was required to be paid so that we as sinners could approach a holy God. Brother, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shout. I don't care if you're Baptist. You can shout. That is good news. That's good news. But if the good news is, you know what? You're going to have to lift yourself up on that cross. Guess what? Even if I could lift myself up on that cross, the sacrifice wouldn't be accepted. You remember in the Old Testament? Those sacrifices had to be brought a certain way. They had to be clean. Clean sacrifices. We're not clean. We're unclean. All of us are unclean. The Bible said God looked down upon the heavens of the earth and saw that the intents of their heart were only evil continually. Only evil. They got a little good in them. We may have a little good, naturally speaking. We might have a little morality, naturally speaking. But whenever it's compared to holiness, it's all evil. That's why the flesh cannot profit anything. That's why flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because it's corrupt. It's fallen. It's natural. It's of the earth earthy. It's full of sin. It falls short of the glory of God. Therefore, He has a spiritual kingdom. He is called a spiritual people from the foundation of the world. Who is his spiritual seed that is in him? <clears throat> that spiritual seed will reproduce after like kind. The natural Adam reproduced after his kind a, a natural seed. But Christ, who is a spiritual head, he has progenated, if you allow me that word, a spiritual seed. We are born from above, we weren't born here. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible says that we are not of this world. This is the only world I've ever known. I've not been anywhere else. This is the only world I've known. But yet the Bible says I'm not of this world. 
Bible says that we are pilgrims and strangers. That means that we've come from somewhere else and not from here. Well, this is the only place that I've been. I've not been anywhere else. What does that mean? That I was born from above. Well, wait a minute. Did the born again take place down here? No, it took place up there. It was born from above and it was placed in vessels of clay. See, we are from somewhere else. The Bible says that one of these days that we are going to go home. <laughs> home is where I came from. What is that speaking of? It's not speaking of this flesh and blood. It's speaking of that inner man. That thing that's in you that is a new creation. Not the old worked over. It's a new creation. And that only happened because He was lifted up. If I be lifted up, all that the Father gives me back there shall come to me and believe upon me. And all that believe on me, I will in no wise cast out. And all that come to me, I will raise them up at the last day. Brethren, if you can't bank on Christ's promise, then you can't bank on anybody's promise. So definitely don't listen to me. Definitely don't listen to Brother Larry. Don't listen to any other preachers that's out there. They ain't going to be able to promise you anything. If Jesus can't keep His promise, nobody else can. But Jesus has promised that very thing. Alright. Anybody have any questions or anything you'd like to add or comment? Verses of Scripture you can think of that might have gone along? Corrections? One of my favorite, I'll read just a few Scriptures in Colossians, the first chapter. I asked a guy one time about this question about sin, who authored sin. This really answered the question, but much more than that. Beginning with the uh, 13th verse, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Very good. All that evil is not going to keep anything from happening, right? The big evil, Adam's sin, didn't keep God's plan from being messed up. Matter of fact, it was part of God's plan. It was God's plan. We know that to be true. Romans 5 tells us the law came in that the offense might abound. God gave the law to Adam so that the offense might abound. Why? Because he had chosen to glorify himself in the salvation of a people. Not before anyone had done anything good or bad, 
so that the purpose of God according to election might stand. Brethren, it's good news to those who have ears to hear. It's not. It's a savor of death unto death to those who are perishing, right? So I praise God. I pray that it is a savor of life unto life to you. Anybody else got anything? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we come to you now and we thank you so much for Christ Jesus. We thank you for this day that we've had together, together. We thank you for those that you've brought here today for uh, uh, this family that you brought our way. Lord, we pray for their traveling mercies as they travel home. And Lord, we just uh, thank you and we pray, Lord, that today that uh, that you've edified your people. We ask, Lord, now that anything that I've said of error, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, teach rightly in the hearts of your people. And uh, Lord, that you would bring me into correction so that I might not speak those things anymore. Lord, we do appreciate the grace that's given to us in the times that we have together to worship. Lord, we know that these uh, times may not be here longer uh, in this world that we live in. And we know that you control all things and that even if persecution might come upon us and that we might not ever be able to physically join together again for any reason. Lord, we know that the gates of hell is never going to prevail against your church. It is not in all the years that it has been here, and it never will. Until you come again, Lord, we know that your word will always be uh, propagated from the pillar and the ground of truth, which is the church. So, Father, we just thank you again for your uh, provision that you've given to your people we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the word of God that has been uh, preserved for us to be able to know you and to know your salvation. And Lord, we just again thank you for Christ Jesus and we ask, Lord, that our hearts of worship have truly been to exalt him today, that our voices being lifted up were being lifted up to exalt him. And Lord, I just thank you for giving us understanding of these things. Even the very things this morning, Lord, just a few years ago, are, were foreign to many of us. That, Lord, the understanding of true salvation and the true gospel and the true church was foreign to any of us. And, Lord, we only know that by grace we've been given eyes to see. That we are no different than anybody else of the reprobates, Lord, we are sinners deserving of hell, but by grace you've given us salvation in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for the blood of Christ that has forgiven us of our sins, for the righteousness of Christ that is ours to claim, not by right, but because we have been made, adopted, that we have been made partakers that we've been made to understand and believe. Father, we just are grateful for all that you have done for the sovereign grace of God and the salvation of his people. And it's in his